Hey everybody, welcome to the Regeneration Podcast. I'm Jay, and as always, here with my friend Isaac. Hello. How you doing, man? Doing good. Doing good. Um, you guys don't know this because this is an audio podcast, but there's uh, two giant tubs of pepper plant garlic sauce. Yeah, equaling a gallon worth of pepper plant sauce. Yeah, it's for our friend Preston Sprinkle. Preston Sprinkle, it's on the way. He loves it. He does love it. I hear he actually goes through like a, a half gallon like on a weekly basis, so we want to at least hook him up for a couple weeks. Yeah, man, that can't be good for you, but you know, enjoy if that's your thing. Yeah. Um, today is, uh, we've got a, this is really exciting. I'm excited about this episode. It's a little bit different. Um, we have a really, really good friend of ours on the episode with us today. Shamina. Hi. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. It's super fun having you here. Um, Shamina is a songwriter and a worship leader. She's done a lot of music for us at our regeneration events over the past several years. She's led worship. She shared a bunch of her own, um, original music and um, she does a lot of music out there and has traveled a bunch and plays shows and put music out there that's been on, on TV and all, all, all that kind of stuff. But she's also deeply embedded in the life of the local church and is a worship leader and mm-hmm. has been a worship leader in her local church for um, several years. And you've led worship for a wide variety of, of yeah. generations for youth and for college students and young adults. And now primarily at your church, you're leading for the church at large. Um, in the Sunday gatherings. Um, But I'd be curious to know your journey. You know, how do you go from being a young girl picking up a guitar for the first time and just jamming out, you know, GCD chords? And then (laughs) here you are creating all this art, all this music and leading in a local church. Share a little bit of your your journey with us. Yeah. So I grew up in a really musical home and um, I grew up in the church, out the womb in the church was kind of our jam. So my grandfather was the pastor of the church I grew up in. So I'm Assyrian, and I grew up in a, a really small Assyrian church here in San Jose. So my grandfather was the pastor of that. My whole family was in ministry. My dad was and still is one of the worship leaders at the church I grew up in. Um, everybody's super involved. So I grew up listening to Yanni and Celine Dion and classic opera and then random folk music and singer-songwriter stuff with my dad. Um, so piano was my first instrument. And I grew up playing that in the church alongside my family. Um, I started playing, I want to say, second grade. How old are you in second grade? Six? Seven? Seven-ish? Six or seven. Somewhere in there. And then um, I didn't start playing guitar until a few months before I turned 13. And so I wrote my first song when I was nine. It was a super cheesy worship song. But it happened. It has to start somewhere, right? Um, Do you remember any of the lyrics? I might remember all of it. Okay, let's hear it. We got to do it. Okay. No judgment, please. I was nine. Okay. It's probably better than anything we've ever written. <laughs> Jay and I have both been involved in music for years. That's right. For we won't years. talk about any of the stuff we were involved in. <laughs> well, Isaac's band was fairly legit. I had a series of very mediocre local bands. <laughs> I saw you play live. Good times. It was Shemina good stuff. came to one of my shows once. I remember Gomer's Breed, right? Yeah, that was a good one. Right. I, wrote a sh- I wrote a song about Gomer. Anyways. <laughs> Gomer's <let's>, what? <laughs> That's what it's called, Gomer's Breed, man. Gomer's Breed? Yeah, I'll let you listen oh, to God, it later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> got it. So much in but the archives I wanna, here. I want to hear your nine-year-old worship song. Okay, it was in the key of C. Okay. So it goes, I am a servant. Well, I'm not singing in the key of C. I don't have a perfect pitch, so I don't know if I'm in the key of C, <laughs> just to clarify for the judgmental <laughs> musicians out there. Um, 
I am a servant of God, just like you, and I love him a lot like you do, too. See, I rhyme there. Yeah. He died on the cross <laughs> to save our sins, and I'm going to praise him every day. He is our Father, our Savior, our Master, our Messiah, our King, and our Lord. I'd give him anything he wants. I'd even give my life. The Lord is so kind to me. I talk to him whenever I'm in need. The Lord our God is so great. So come with me and celebrate. Q chorus. Hey. That's Dude, amazing. That was already better. <laughs> lyric, lyric, it's lyrically, so that was, I mean, this is, I don't know if it's a, a it's, it is a compliment, but it's also maybe a, a put down to where we're at. But I would say that's more theologically rich than 70% of the worship songs that are <laughs> currently true. in rotation. We're laughing about it, but it's like the... Nine-year-old Shamina. From the mouths of babes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that was great. I'm really impressed you you remember it in such vivid clarity. Well, I was forced really to play it a lot. It was one of those things where my parents were just so proud. Yep. They'd want me to play and sing wherever we went. So I wrote that first song at nine, and... I played piano, and then I got to this point where piano wasn't cool. Guitar was really cool. I was over it. I needed to do the cool thing. And I didn't want to take piano anymore. And so my parents said, if you quit piano, we won't pay for guitar lessons. We want you to continue with that. It's a good foundation. And I said, well, I don't want to continue with it, so you don't have to pay for lessons. And then I had my dad teach me a few chords. And then three weeks later, I wrote my first song on guitar. I just always wanted to create. I was a terrible student in terms of practicing what was in front of me, but I was really quick at memorizing, and I just I loved breaking the rules musically. Um, and my uncle was actually, and my parents were really good about encouraging um, me exploring writing and creating stuff. Um, I just thought if somebody I went to school with found my music interesting and thought like, hey, what does that mean? That's a really unique way of saying whatever that means. And that gave me a chance to actually share the gospel through this song that had a ton of symbolism or metaphors or whatever. Um, that felt like a win for me personally. There's no right or wrong answer to that, but that was kind of the route I ended up taking. And throughout the whole thing, um, I grew up playing and singing in church. And so at the Assyrian church, I, I started leading worship when I was in high school with a guitar for our tiny youth group of like nine people. And then um, when I was in college, I found my way to Calvary, which is one of the local churches here in San Jose. And then my current boss was actually preaching that Sunday. And um, the worship pastor at the time, who's like an older brother to me, Andy Gridley, I met him the next weekend I auditioned for the worship team. And then a month later, I got to be a part of my first service at Calvary. And September will actually be 10 years that I've been there. Wow. But it's just been a series of, I mean, God kept me here. And I couldn't have imagined what the Lord had in store for me. But if I hadn't stayed here, I wouldn't have been taken in by a group of several men and women who have really poured into me and shaped some of my theology of worship, have shaped me as a leader, have given me the freedom to explore and see what the Spirit is calling me to to call out and identify for our church and, um, and grow within that. So I've been doing it my whole life for the most part, and I've been doing it vocationally, if you will, for the last five-ish years. So. Oh, you heavy, heavy heart You're laying in the dark just to hide from me You're saying that we're far So very, very far from where we ought to be But talk is cheap And you've been saving money Ooh. I've been in the room 
leading worship through music many times now. And one of the things I so deeply appreciate about the way you lead worship is that you have a real sense of history and legacy and um, the story we find ourselves in as a continuation of what God has been doing in the world for generations. And, and that shows in the way, in your theological richness in the way you lead. So you don't get up there and just sing the songs. Um, you help us think through why we're singing the songs we're singing and, and what these words mean. And so I want to ask you a question about that. I think for many people today, there is this dichotomy. And I think it's a false dichotomy that, you know, when you're in a church gathering or any environment where um, Jesus is being proclaimed, that the preaching and teaching is meant for teaching us theology and engaging our minds, and that the music and the, the worship through music is meant for engaging only our hearts and uh, evoking an emotional response to um, the things about God that we're learning mm-hmm. in other mediums, when in reality, um, those things are certainly true, but they're incomplete, right? Teaching and preaching, when it's done well, also certainly ought to evoke an emotive heart response to God. And in turn, music and, and worship through music um, teaches us theology mm-hmm. in ways that maybe preaching and teaching don't even quite do. They Music embeds theology in us into our collective memory, and it shapes the way we even color history, mm-hmm. um, our personal histories, as well as the story of God as it's been unfolding, and the way we see the future, what God is up to both in the present and into the future. So I want to ask you that question. How have you experienced... Um, the teaching of theology, specifically through music and through worship. How, how have you experienced that personally, mm-hmm. um, just as a person and as a worship leader? Um, and then how have you experienced that from the other end, where as a worship leader, you've sensed that you're also teaching people something about God? The great responsibility that you have in leading a church, whether from the, the teaching to the music, as I guess the big question is, what are the words you're putting in the mouth of the bride? That was one of a question that one of my mentors asked me years ago. And it's always stuck with me because I've been through seasons where I sang songs that I didn't really know the the purpose of them or they felt good or they sounded they were popular, but they weren't actually doing anything for me or for the church. They were just like songs on rotation. They were popular, whatever it was. And so um, from the music to the teaching, I mean, you have this huge privilege of being a part of that, a part of God's work within that, but you also have such a great responsibility. And, um, the words carry the weight of life, essentially. And if you are not giving the right words to work with, um, you're doing the people a disservice. And it's essentially your feeling and your duty within that. And so, um, yeah, it's it's kind of overwhelming. So you're going to jump. No, in, that, that was just a powerful line. I was like, worship leaders, just take take note of that. Say it again. Take heed of the words you put in the bride's mouth. What? Yeah. Uh, say it again. Was that yeah, it? Yeah. The question was, what are the words you're putting in the mouth of the bride? Because those words essentially They're the being weight of sung, life. Yeah. yeah. Sunday after Sunday, yeah. midweek, and people are, you know, 
it's it's being embedded in their hearts and in their minds. Yeah. And, um, I'm so, I, I can be sort of the resident hater uh, sometimes <laughs> with with modern worship music. If anyone has like, uh, if you have a bent like me, you're like by nature I'm like skeptical. I'm cynical. I'll just so so I have to I have to pull that back. But um, really, like I, I wasn't kidding. Like your nine year old Shamina song had. There was a part of it was like, well, there was the father, there was the son, there was the spirit. Then there's the posture of worship. Like, you know, we have worship songs that, and I know it's easy to make fun of this stuff, but um, like you could replace Jesus with your girlfriend in the song Mm -hmm. and the song still works. Like there's, there's no Christian theology in it. There's songs where... Jesus isn't even directly, or, or God is, is not even directly talked about. It's more focused on the experience of worship or how you've overcome your problems and how you're some triumphant. Yeah. And so one of the things that I say is um, there's nothing wrong with a, a worship song that isn't theologically robust. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong in and of itself. It's like we all have guilty pleasures. There's all like cheesy pop songs that we might like, like oh, totally. to listen to. You know? <laughs> but... The problem is, is is diet. So Mm -hmm. if 75 to 95% of the worship being sung at a local congregation is like low, it's, it's not theologically rich, then your entire diet is just getting that stuff. And so we don't have to be like me, a hater on everything, but we do want to be wise that our diet is balanced, that for every, you know, easy song about how much God loves me, is there something about the, you know, the majesty and the transcendence of, totally. of the living, holy God? Um, because that's what our, that's how our people are learning. Jay, you have a story of when you were very young um, yeah. and maybe immature in the faith where you're, 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 you're taking these songs seriously and you're focusing on the lyrics yeah. and, uh, you know, you just got led down a path about, the yeah. story of Jesus in a way that's yeah. comical. Yeah, it was back in the nineties. I was a I was a youth group kid. I grew up in the, you know, nineties youth group subculture, which was its own special little thing. And there was that song. This is not to this is not meant to bash the song. There's actually a lot that was good about it. Uh, you guys remember that old song, Lord I Lift Your Name on High? You know it. She knows it in Assyrian, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there was that song. It was in rotation, like you said. And it was super popular back then, not just in youth groups, but like just in church, in in the American church. And the chorus of that song, I think it's the chorus, says, um, you came from heaven to earth to show the way mm-hmm. from the earth. Shamina's doing Shemina's the doing the hand motions. <laughs> She's doing the hand motions. <laughs> and as he's saying this, you have to picture it's the last course because when churches did this for the last course, oh, the yeah. instrument, everything would die out except the drums and the drums would kind of go to halftime. Yes. Oh, yes. It was big, epic. It was the breakdown. It was the big breakdown. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was you came from heaven to earth to show the way. Right. Awesome, right? From the earth to the cross, my debt to pay. It's like, okay, like some mm-hmm. of the Christus Victor people are going to be like, well, is that really what happened? <laughs> like, wasn't it really for victory? But regardless, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, it's like, okay, great. It's like the story. It's, and it's, the lyrics are beautiful because it's telling me the story. Yeah. Um, so it came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross, my debt to pay from the cross to the grave. So he died. Good. And then it says, from the grave to the sky, Lord, I yeah. lift your name on high. It goes back to the big... 
refrain or the chorus, Lord, I lift your name on high. So I was 12 when we first started singing the song, yeah. youth group kid. We sang it every week. We loved it. We did the hand motions. <laughs> and, you know, we were into it, tears, hands, mm-hmm. you know, all that, right? I This is not a joke. I legitimately thought that the resurrection story went like that, mm-hmm. that Jesus was crucified, buried, and that on the third day... He rose from the grave and immediately, like, flew up into the sky. Flying zombie. Yes. Jesus into the sky. Yeah, like the light breaks through the tomb, and then there's Jesus. He breaks. Up yeah, to the ground, exactly. Yeah, fly that's up good. That's almost kind of how I pictured it, and he just <laughs> flew away. Yeah. But then, you know, if, if you've read the Bible, what we know is, like, that's not actually what happens, mm-hmm. right? He comes back, and he has meals with his friends, and he teaches them, and he spends over a month show, yeah. revealing himself to all sorts of people before he ascends mm-hmm. into the heavens, right? And there's all sorts of conversations we can have about even what that means. But I, I share that story because it's both good and bad. Like, the opening lines of that part of the song is like, man, how powerful is that? This song was teaching me the gospel story mm-hmm. that, that Jesus came and he died and he died for me and all those things for us and for sin um, to erase our sin. But then it's, it, it gets wonky because it taught me as a 12 year old, an incorrect version of the story that, mm. that left out an entire or incomplete, story. incomplete. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, um, I was joking with Isaac earlier today, um, in hindsight, I think they said that he goes from the grave to the sky just because they needed a word that rhymed with high. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from the grave to the sky, Lord, I lift your name on high. And they, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they're yeah. like, let's just go sky. And see, here's the hater coming out though, because like, like we could write that we could write a worship like look, it's like, um, like amazing grace, Holy Spirit, change us in this place, shower us with your grace, <laughs> right. like. It's yeah. cheap rhymes. Speak now, we want to hear it. Yeah. It's like we, we could, like, like it's so much of it is, like, lyrically shallow and then just such cheesy, cheap rhyme schemes that that, that just, yeah. um, you know, just, I, again, that song didn't, like, wreck your faith or do you massive no, harm. No. But, it, you know, sort of as the worship leader, when songs maybe are incomplete or there's a word that no one's going to know, like in Come Thou Fount, the word Ebenezer is used, mm-hmm. I believe. Right. Like, before you start, ex- just explain what that totally. is once, because yes. we're not saying like you have to just use big words in theological terms. We're, we're just saying, you know, there's there's a role of a worship leader to, to teach and to explain and to draw people in and fill in the gaps because no worship song can be perfect with telling the story of Jesus in of the three and a half minutes. But right. there's extra work that has to be done that often more times than not in kind of our worship context right now isn't being done. Stuff's yeah. left out. Yeah. You know, f- What it makes me think a lot about is um, when I talk to when I talk to worship leaders, and we have a lot of worship leader friends. So this isn't just conjecture. This is from experience. There is a lot of energy and a lot of time, as there should be, given to honing and crafting the artistry and the poetry of the song. And in my opinion, in many cases not enough time given to honing and crafting the theological richness of the song, which in turn is embedded in the poetry and the beauty of it. Yeah, and then memorized and... 
Yeah. And set that, over again and get stuck in your head. You're driving and you're singing. That's exactly right. That's why the call to worship leaders, like we're talking about, like you just said earlier, is so important. The yeah. responsibility. Think about the words you are putting in the mouth of the bride. Yeah. That, um, you know, we, we when somebody says what letter comes after X, what do we have to do most of the time? We have to sing the ABCs in our mm-hmm. head. And why is that? It's because we use these letters every single day to form these complex ideas, words and language and mm-hmm. thoughts. And yet the bedrock of our memory mm-hmm. in terms of how yeah. we communicate to one another is embedded in music. That's how we remember. Now, you think about the gravity of that, and there's all, been all sorts of work done in psychology and neurology yeah. about how music embeds ideas in us in ways that nothing else can. Now we're singing songs. We're putting music to ideas about the God of the universe. Mm-hmm. And if we're, if we're focused more on, on the music and the flow and not enough on the ideas, yeah. man, that seems like a dangerous yeah. thing. The, um, it's a perfect example. Um, the word sky in that song. Yeah. You went into the sky. Sky to the modern person didn't mean what the gospel writers were trying to communicate yes. when they wrote that down. So that yeah. is a, a story about the ascension, the enthronement of Jesus as king. So there's words that mean different things depending upon their cultural context. Mm-hmm. This goes back to like um, the richness that you were finding with, with Assyrian worship. So mm-hmm. words don't directly translate over. They're weighted in a, in a, in a cultural kind of backdrop so for instance um the word family in english is not as strong of a word as familia in spanish Mm -hmm. um the word incarnation we talk about the incarnation of jesus if you ask the average person what's an incarnation they're gonna think i think of a flower like i think of a flower (laughs) but encarnacion in spanish sounds like and yeah when the fantasy (laughs) has ended (laughs) and all the children are gone (laughs) Um, in in carne in meat. If you have carne asada, uh, yeah, wow, well. it's in meat. It's yeah. in flesh. Wow. And so in Spanish, incarnation immediately makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, where in English, there's extra work you have to do, and sometimes mm-hmm. there's an English word that we don't do the extra work for. For instance, sky. Mm-hmm. That's an ascension, enthronement. This is King Jesus taking his seat. An even deeper layer layer to that is if you're an American, you don't like the word king. It's yeah. in our cultural mm-hmm. DNA to be against the king. Mm-hmm. Like in Les Miserables, like the story, you soon get introduced to like there's peasants protesting the king. And as an American, you don't need any of the backdrop. You already know the king's bad right. and the poor people are good. Like we, our, our nation is built upon rebelling against mm-hmm. a king. So the word king means something different to the 21st century hyper-individualistic modern American that needs more explanation. So again, it's that continual teaching of our worship leaders and our mm-hmm. songs' responsibility to get all that stuff across. Yeah. yeah. On the flip side of it, when the work is done, when the work's done well, I think we've all seen, I've seen you do this actually, um, Shamina, as you've led, when the work is done, the hard work is done, and then you do put songs in the mouth of the bride, mm. that really does um, fill them with the richness of who God is, mm-hmm. and actually, you know, forces a little bit of uh, mental, emotional wrestling. Like, oh my gosh, what is what does that mean when we sing those words? What does that mean? Yeah. We've all seen sort of the transformative power 
of that and, and how the worship experience becomes this really incredibly rich. Um, I've seen how th- that sort of experience, when you put songs in the mouth of the bride, that really forces them to engage um, the idea of God in their life and in the world in really deep, meaningful ways. I've seen how the worship then extends beyond the 20 minutes that you're singing. Mm-hmm. You know, when the conversations come up, like, hey, we sang that song. And I'm, man, what does that mean? You know, totally. and and I think I think I get it this way, but can mm-hmm. you explain what you know? And and people come alive um, in some of those ways. And there's really beautiful songs out there that are doing that sort of that sort of work. I think yeah. within that, I mean, at the heart of all of it is the theology, right? The root of it, because as a worship leader, there's so many elements to a worship service that you have to consider, like depending on how well you know your band and the different team members, you may be limited. Like you might have to exclude certain songs from your set list, even though they're awesome and they're theologically rich. Like they might not be your best foot forward given the ability of your band. And you have to make that call because you want your members to succeed. Or um, if your church responds to really like up-tempo stuff or you're a more mid-tempo kind of congregation like all those things you have to factor in because you have to have it make sense for the context and the culture of your church Mm. but within that the depth of it should never be compromised right the gospel should never be compromised in the midst of trying to appease the people that you are serving in a sense Mm -hmm. because ultimately if god is not glorified within that if, if it's not rich and sound it's still a disservice like there are worship songs like albums as a whole that are great there are some songs on there that are questionable. I was reading um, the albums from like two, three years ago. Um, I was reading some guy, I don't even know who he is, to be honest. He was just reviewing this album and a couple of the songs. And some of the songs I, I really didn't like because I'm like, hey, they sound feel good, but I ultimately don't know what the purpose of this song is. Like, mm-hmm. I'm focusing a lot on myself and it might be a beautiful melody or it might feel good because it's all like a major chord progression and that feels like much more lighthearted and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But this ultimately doesn't do anything. Like, I don't know where we're going in this experience. And then it, it's like an extended like nine and a half minute song on the album. What is the purpose of the song? Why are people in the video so excited and like smiling with their hands up? Like, what are they actually singing? Because I don't get it. And yeah. in the review, he's talking about how like it's a really nice break of a song. It might not be the most like theologically rich song but it's nice to be paired with a song that's more dense in doctrine and saying stuff like that and saying it but you get this beautiful melody and the imagery is awesome and it's it almost is reminiscent of the psalms and i was like man that kind of bothers me because one like if you want to look at like modern day psalmist there's a singer named i think it's strawn i don't know how you say his name Mm -hmm. but it's rich it's convicting it's beautiful it's all these things wrapped in one but I wouldn't compare the two one with that. Yeah. But at the same time, the Psalms are everything. Like they encompass every kind of emotion, yeah. but they are never, ever shallow. Yeah. And they are never, even if there is like a center on me, there's a Selah. And then there's, hmm. but I will remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Everything points yeah. back to the Lord. So everything is Christ centered. So to take these songs, like I spend a lot of time in heavy things and I need a break from that too. But Simple doesn't have to mean without depth. Simple is still profound, and everything about our God is not simple or small or able to be contained. So Mm. even in the more lighthearted moments, when we sing these songs, worship is reviewing the glories of God and responding to that. And when we respond to that, there's nothing simple about it. it. It might be like, hey, this is simple. This is the truth. That's it. Like In that sense, maybe it's simple, but it's not shallow in any way. So for us to say that it might not be the most theologically dense song like i mean 
worship of God is theology put to music. It has to be rich. And if we're not letting people, if we're not helping them shape their understanding of the nature of God and of what he's done, and like we focus on our flesh within the song versus Mm -hmm. like our death and resurrection of it, like through Christ and that, that completely changes the experience. And so um, I get really challenged with stuff like that. And I I get frustrated because that's that's something we should pay attention to. So, and if like, you look at Moses, and it's in Deuteronomy, and the example is when he's at the end of his ministry, he gives the people a song that tells them of the magnitude of knowing God and remembering his mighty deeds, his theology. And so at the end of it, he reminds them that these aren't just empty words, but as we, we spoke earlier, they bear the weight of life. And the verses, chapter 32, verses 45 to 47, if you don't mind me reading it, it says, when Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. By them, you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So again, it goes back to the question, what are the words we're putting in the mouth of the bride? Because it's not something simple. It's like God's not your homeboy and Jesus is not a guy you're dating. There's that Christian yeah. comedian that says, Jesus is out of your league. He wouldn't date you. Like all those kinds of things. <laughs> like if we don't look at God with reverence and awe, what are we looking at? Yeah. And it has to be everything, an emotional, like intellectual heart response to the magnitude of the living God. And it doesn't have to be this full on physical expression or anything, but that the core of our response is rooted mm. in that. Like that, that's so important. Yeah. That's great. There's something you said that was was great, something along the lines of like theologically rich, you can do that and still be simple. Um, and, and that's good because there's some songs that are, some people think for it to be theologically rich, it has to use a bunch of big words and theology words that no one's going to understand. Uh, an example of this, a song that I like, but that may be difficult, is, is a song that Gary Bashir's on the last couple podcasts ago mentioned, Hark the Herald, Christmas song. There's a line, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. I love that. That's awesome. That's deep. But, you know, someone may not immediately know, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail incarnate deity. Um, but for another example of something that's brilliant, theologically rich that I love, that simply just strings together biblical images and metaphors, is a, another artist I love, Dest- Dustin Kendra of the band Thrice. I thought you were going to say he, Destiny's Child. Destiny's Child. <laughs> the way you uh, said that. Yeah, Destiny's both. Child. Isaac well, loves both. Yeah, my two favorite artists. Um, Beyonce and Dustin Kendra. Yeah, you know. Can you pay my bills, my telephone bills? That's going back to late '90s, I think. Beyonce and uh, Destiny's Child, but Dustin awesome. has his awesome song, which is a song about Jesus coming again. Which, by the way, majority of our worship songs have lost that great hope. Mm-hmm. That uh, how many? I mean, think about it. How many worship songs are about Jesus coming again, and how that is that is our hope? Jesus yeah. is coming again. I mean, oftentimes we're more excited about a new Star Wars film than we are the second coming of, of the Son mm-hmm. of God. Um, so he writes this beautiful song, but it's, it's not like big words. He goes, some about the return of Jesus, like a thief in dead of night, come our everlasting light. Let your brilliance shame the brightest day with your voice like endless seas, wielding swords and stars and keys, bring the nations to their knees, we pray. Mm-hmm. Now that's rich, yeah. incredibly rich. It's all biblical imagery, but there's no like 
incarnate deity language. Yeah. So it, it, it it's important to note, like you said, you can be simple, but still so, so rich in that a child can understand it, an adult can engage in it. And we just need more, more of that because this stuff's like, as I read that, that's rare. That's rare in our worship. Like a thief in dead of night, come out everlasting light, let your brilliance shame the brightest day, with your voice like endless seas, wielding swords and stars and keys. You know, the Dustin Kendrew song that you just quoted in a lot of his music and a lot of great artists yeah, there's, out there there's tons who are, who are, that are doing this sort of work. One of the, one of the, the strands you see as a theme in much of their writing and much of the songs they create and put into the mouth. I just keep saying that because it's such a powerful mm-hmm. image the the words yeah. they put into the mouths of the bride. And what you just said a little bit ago reminds me of this. You, you said that, you know, you have heavy stuff going on in your life too and you need, you know, but it can't just be that. Um, these songs like the Kenzer staff and, and all sorts of really wonderful artists that are writing theologically rich metaphor, metaphor rich, mm-hmm. but understandable songs like this. Um, the thing that stands out to me as a theme between them and some of the songs that we're critiquing here is that they write music that, that makes very clear that worship is not an escape. It's a confrontation. Mm-hmm. And I think so, I grew up like this, thinking that worship was my chance to escape. What I realized was that that shaped my theology, that following Jesus was a life of escape. Hmm. For for many years, I believed, because of the worship music that I sang growing up, that following Jesus meant I could escape the trouble and hardship of this life, that if mm-hmm. I could just go to church be at youth group, sing yeah. these songs, feel nice, feel good. It was an escape from the, the chaos of my life. But what I've come to believe, I think what we've all come to know and believe, because it's what the story of God tells us, is that the gospel is not interested in helping us escape. Mm. The gospel is interested in confronting what is wrong yeah. in our lives and in the world and making it right and erasing the wrong, eliminating yeah. the wrong. And I love worship music. I mean, we, all three of us, let's just admit it right here, it's all biased because we're all giant Kenzer fans. <laughs> yeah, I cried when I met him. Dustin, if you're listening to this, we'd love to have you on the podcast. Yes, <laughs> Dustin. But in all seriousness, objectively, I think, what, what we can fairly say is that one of the reasons some of the music he puts out there in terms of worship is so powerful is that it cuts through Mm -hmm. the sort of malaise of so much worship music out there because it is confrontational. Yeah. And, um, there's an integrity on the the artistic level. Totally. Is the the music is actually superior. Yeah. Yes. So the, the the music is is better, and uh, the best worship songs last more than five years. Oftentimes, people think if something's catchy, it's good. M- my daughter, I have a, a three and a half year old. The kids' music she listens to gets stuck in my head, <laughs> and we just think catchiness means brilliant stuff that's going to last a thousand years, and that's not necessarily the case. But yeah, guys like there's and there's there's other other artists too. 
Citizens and Saints, we'd love to have you on the show. King's Kaleidoscope. <laughs> I was throwing out all, is, yeah, all the names of people that are just doing, just the music is better. And the, and the lyrics are, are just absolutely incredible. So it's, it's being done. Um, and we just need more. We need more of it. We need more, yeah. more artists striving for that. Yeah, it's that confrontation, right? The conviction within that. And like when you guys talk about with Regen, challenging generations that don't know how to read the scriptures or just feel like there's no life in them, they're bland, there's there's no richness to it, which is the complete opposite. Like when you think about that and the confrontation within that, these songs have to be not packed theologically, but they have to speak the truth because, I mean, I think you have to have teaching and you have to have the worship through music, like, be a marriage, they enhance one another and they both drive home the same point. But like you said, the digestion, it's more of a slow release with music and it, it'll maybe stick around for a little bit longer, not discrediting the message at all because there are times where the message, there's like a line that sticks with me for a week or two and I'm still chewing on it. So it's no competition between the two, but just the reality of the power of music, right? And if within music, we can help generations that are missing out on the richness of scripture, if we can help influence that in the sense that it's not enough to say, oh yeah, like I love God or I believe in God. Like if you can't articulate why, nobody's going to listen to why and like take what you believe seriously. And if we can help ourselves, not just generations like myself included, if we can continue to help um, push the education of scripture, theology within music so that people can actually articulate what they believe and why and why God is so great and why he's so good and why they love him or why he loves them and not just leaving it at those one-line sentences, then that that shapes their faith, right? When you go from like a head knowledge to heart to like a mouth confession, it solidifies what you believe even more. You can think it, but if you say it out loud it becomes that much more real to you because you're hearing yourself say it. And if the thing that you're thinking, processing, and then saying out loud is the scriptures, which is God's breathed word to us, like, wouldn't it be that much more powerful? It's super intense. I mean, everything God does is intentional. The um, power of worship. You talked about confrontation. I mean, when people, when God's people come together to sing, they are corporately as the family and people of God declaring now in the present that Jesus is Lord and no one else is. That is a, a powerful statement that says we're doing something in the presence which will be done in God's present presence for forever. Um, and we need to reorient our brains. Like we have to have that on a weekly basis because all the messages that are out there is Jesus is not Lord. And so we come together and we unite on his name and sing together um, and things happen. Like when that happens, there's an existential thing that's taking place. God is, God is being glorified. Our brains are being rewired to think around the truth of God and, and, and concentrate on his people. So it's not just a little side thing. Sometimes it's like, you know, there's worship for 20 minutes and then you get a sermon for 40 minutes. It is the centerpiece of Christian living is the worship and exaltation of the living God. So there's not enough we could do. We could talk about it forever and and study it forever, and it would always not never be enough. Yeah, you can't exhaust God's praises. Mm. And, I mean, for better or for worse, people will talk about this differently, but I've heard some people say, like, they'll plan and then say, oh, we're going to plan and, like, we'll let the Holy Spirit do something here. But essentially, like, shouldn't our gatherings be Christ-mediated instead of just us setting aside a pocket of time. I mean, sometimes, yes, yeah. structurally, like we know we can take freedoms here because there are some logistics we have to yeah. take. But like if the heart of it is, well, 
we as men have put this together, men and women have yeah. put this together, and then we'll just leave like a little sprinkle here for the spirit to work. Like, that's not what God I'm going to do that for my sermon this week. I'm just going <laughs> to prep like for 15 minutes and be like, all right, God, come Whatever. on, Jesus. You know, because the thing is, is there's yeah. a there's a truth to that, but nine times out of ten, yeah. I usually see it as a, as a cop out because totally. I'm gonna prep for my normal my normal game plan, and I'll also leave room if God says, exactly. in the, it, you know, you know, if I feel a conviction to go a different yeah. way or a tragedy happens that has to be spoken into, like totally. it doesn't, it never has to be one or the other. And when people try yeah. to make it one or the other, exactly, like, it's just kind of like cut, come on. No, because I mean, if like, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. I've been in seasons where like, I know what my musical ability is and I know the music really well and I know the structure well enough where I could do this on my own, right? If if I'm depending on myself and it's like slap in the face, come on now. Like, yes, you have these abilities or these giftings that God's given you, but don't ever for a second think that you are the one who's moving hearts. It's, it's God who is. And people can see through that. And the spirit works whether I do well and awesome or yeah. I'm like off completely because there have been weekends where I personally thought I like just sucked musically. And I'm like, well, if I didn't do a good job musically, then the spirit didn't show up, which is completely false. And then you hear stories of people who had this encounter with the Lord. And I'm like, that is like just something really tangible reminding me it is not what I yep. do. I just show up with faithfulness and obedience, but the spirit works with people. And I have a friend who is like, before Jesus, he's whatever you could think of as someone who's the polar opposite of a Christian. This is him. This is how he describes his testimony. And he went to a church service because he liked a girl that was going to that church. He was just trying to hook up with her. And during the worship, there was some line. I forget what it was, but it's like, you know, Jesus, your king, da 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 And his heart changed and completely changed his, his life. And if you knew him from before, like this is a guy who was in a band and put like upside down crosses on his forehead as like just anti everything to do with Christianity. And he heard the name of Jesus be lifted and proclaimed and God's spirit changed his heart. Because the gospel is enough, right? We don't have to dress it it up. Boom, done. And, and in all of this, and maybe this is something that we could just kind of wrap up on is that, um, there, there needs to, to, to more than anything be a reliance on the power of God and not on the power and wisdom of men, as you, as you stated. Um, because, yeah, anyone who's done worship or preached a sermon or done something, you know sometimes on your worst day, someone's life's changed. And on your best, when you were polished, nothing, nothing happened. Yeah. Shamina, we're so um, grateful for you personally and um, for young leaders like you who are um, holding with such respect and care and seriousness and joy and humility, the calling. Um, and now I have that thought rumbling in my mind, you know, that um, we are putting words into the mouth of the bride. And uh, I've seen you do this where you care for that with so much reverence and um, respect and, and joy and love. And so thank you for doing that work. Um, where can, Tell people a little bit where maybe they can connect with you online, check out some of your music and some of the work that you do. Um, where can people find you? Yeah, on the huge, the, the iTunes, Spotify. I think those are the main ones. Is there? I mean, do you have a website? I do have a website, shaminamusic.com. Um, my last name was too complicated to <laughs> throw in there, so I just went with my first. But yeah, there's a mixture of I mean, every worship leader is also a singer-songwriter, right? <laughs> uh, but I, I love creating music for no other reason 
other than I love it and I love getting stuff out there. So it's a mixture of some quirky songs, singer-songwriter type things, and there's... Um, where do we get the nine-year-old cassette? Oh, that's worship song. I actually have that's it on cassette. You need to call your dad up, and I'm sure he has like he has his own copy. <laughs> that's awesome. No, I actually I I packed it away when we were moving. I still have it. It says Sham Song. So, um, yeah, there's a mixture on there. There's other songs that again, it's my personal worship. Yeah. I'm not claiming to be one thing or another. I'm just a Christian who wants to make music, and the Lord speaks into it in different ways. So, yeah. That's great. And on Sunday, you'll be singing the hymn that's called Encarnacion. Encarnacion. <laughs> uh, it's the greatest movie of all time, maybe. Top three. Yeah. Top three. <laughs> Shamina, seriously, thank you so much for Thanks, spending guys. time with us. It was an honor being Super here. rich conversation. Hey, hope you guys really enjoyed that conversation. Um, hope it was rich for you and maybe you're a worship leader and um, that was challenging or inspiring or something in between. We would love to hear from you, whether you're a worship leader or not. Just we would always love to hear from you with questions, ideas, suggestions, whatever it might be. You can always reach us um, by emailing us at podcast at regenerationproject.org and find us on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And, uh, of course, our website, where there are lots of other resources as well, regenerationproject.org. So um, we're so grateful you're on this journey with us. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will talk to you all soon. Citizens of the pain and glory Are we more than bodies in the cold, more than empty souls is a secret fire calling all is it calling us to
makes my home I've got an aching for heaven in my bones I know I'll see you again I know I'll see you again Got an aching for heaven in my bones I've got a longing to call that place my home I've got an aching for heaven in my bones I know I'll see you again I'll see you again, no I'll see you again, I know I'll see you again. I'll see you again when we are